Greetings and welcome to In the Finest Hour, your competitive 40k podcast featuring tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your good host, Shaylin Allen West, and uh, with me today we have Sean Morgan, also known as Abuse Puppy. The neutral podcast host, or perhaps balanced depending on what kind of system you're using. <laughs> and as usual, our evil podcast host, Ben Jerk. Welcome back, listeners. We're trying something a little new today. Mix it up a little bit. New season, new ordering. Who put good in power? I'm okay with it. <laughs> I won the die roll. Look, we had evil in power for a long time, and you know, it didn't work out super hot. So, you know, that's just... We don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, 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 I have an idea. Why don't we talk about Cheaty Dark Eldar? You mean a different kind of evil? Yes. Oh, they're they're a headache right now. Um, so, just for li- if listeners aren't aware, or if they've been hiding under a rock, Dark Eldar have been completely destroying the competitive meta. Um, and not even in like a Castellan or Space Marines way, in a much, much worse way. It's... By the numbers, it seems to be about as bad as uh, Yanari or the very top of the Castellan was, um, which is obviously quite bad, but um, the the small token bonus is that there just aren't that many Dark Eldar players. Yeah, I will say this much, the army no longer sucks, but, but... Mm-hmm. Overcompensation is not the way to go, GW. I I appreciate that they made witches not terrible, finally, but they clearly made a few too many mistakes in handing out gifts Christmas morning. Yeah, outside of mirror matches, um, their win rate against other factions is in like the 70 plus percent range. Um, and yeah. even on the low, low end, there's still no one is going below 50 percent win rate. Um, so that's literally anybody playing Drakari is is basically you know at least getting a 50 percent. That's absolutely nuts with how popular the army's gotten. Uh, mm-hmm. My my particular you know beef with it. And I couldn't call it beef because I really would like to see other codexes be this way. Um, is you throw a dart at that codex and it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think the problem is that everything is good because that's fine. Um, it, it's actually if everything is approximately equally good in a codex, that's not actually an issue. Um, the issue is that they have a certain number of explosively undercosted units and then everything else is at least good and some of them are amazing. Yeah, that's kind of the problem is they're a little too efficient around the edges. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically they brought a lot of cannon to a glass cannon list and not enough glass, which is a problem. Yeah. Because quantity is a protective thing. Yes. Uh, Part of it is certainly the costing issue of, like, all of their units gained a lot of stuff and didn't go up in points any. The good news is uh, costing can be fixed with FAQs and stuff. The bad news is we're still experiencing enough COVID. I don't know if Games Workshop is going to have, hopefully, enough data to justify decreasing costs without overdoing it or something stupid. I don't want the army to be nerfed out of existence, but yeah. they don't need to be auto-winning almost everything. Well, the next uh, big FAQ drop is in the fall, so we're, we're gonna have like four to five months of data coming in here. It's possible they'll do an emergency adjustment prior to that, but they already put out the Codex FAQ, so I don't think we're going to see another big adjustment soon. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be a rough summer, um, with the exception yeah. of it, it could get worse uh, with the AdMech Codex coming out and such. Um, there's a lot of new things coming down the pipe. I'm, you know, I'm happy to see those, but this this Drukari mess um, is not is definitely not good for the game. 
Yeah, I am curious how much of it is coming out of people just being totally unprepared for what they do. Like, I do think that the book is too good, but, like, right now everyone is built to beat Space Marines and Sisters and Harlequins, and Drukhari don't play like any of those armies. They're sort of a little bit vaguely like Harlequins, but not really. Um... And so I think there is going to be a certain amount of meta adjustment, but I think also the book is just way too good, and you're seeing a lot of, uh, I seem to recall there was a tournament this weekend where uh, out of the top eight, five of them were Drukhari, uh, which, not a great sign. I mean, I do want to address for a minute there just that Raiders um, are significantly cheaper and the play style um a lot of some armies are really tricky to play uh they have to be played by people with really complex you know thought ahead turns and this and that um the current method of playing jukari for most players is pretty a click it's a relatively null oil style of army to play mm-hmm. mm. well and that's obviously the most popular one because it's not complicated and people like uncomplicated things it's it's things in Raider, Raider go forward, things come out, and yeah, it's not too difficult. You can be a really skilled player, obviously, and do well with it, but the the average... The floor uh, is pretty high. Yep. Yeah. Well, let us just say that you're not completely hopeless, because today we're going to be talking about our infamous problems and solutions analogy, and kind of the mental ways we approach dealing with this and kind of analyzing the game from this analogy's perspective, because we keep bringing it up a lot. And I thought it was pretty good to just jump into and kind of deep dive on. So what we mean by this analogy is you're looking at... It's list analysis, basically, or alternatively, in-game analysis of what's going on, is basically you write off things into one of two groups. An issue and a problem you need to solve or a solution you can apply to said problem. We're trying to teach the right mental habits here, rather than give you a comprehensive list of everything in the game that's a problem, because the answer is, your opponent's list is a problem? Next question. (laughs) So, uh, that's what we're trying to do here. Do you two have anything to add? Not beyond that, no. And the... You kind of stated stated it as best as a on a, a very high level of you know this is this is still a tabletop game with mechanics and you you can really deconstruct it uh, pretty quickly down to its base elements of how do you solve X um, and you can put it on a whiteboard and figure it out. Yeah, um, a good thing to notice is tying into note-taking and stuff is this is great like when you identify a problem and you're like i don't know how to solve it write down the problem and see what happens um it's a great way to learn um you can also apply it to your own playing style but that's a little deeper than we intend to go in this episode so ways to identify a problem one of the first things that occurs to me um is when you're looking at stat lines and stuff if one stat isn't like the others it can often tell you a lot about what kind of tool that unit is and thus what kind of problem it'll present to you. Uh, These are relative to other like units. For example, if someone in their army has a bunch of T4 guys and one unit's T5 randomly, that unit is probably a problem because it's not like the others. Yeah, the the first place to look when you're, you know... If you, if you have the ability to look, at least uh, if you're looking at other codexes or other people's armies, is is that all-important stat line, you know, attacks, wounds, whichever. Um, if a number doesn't fit your standard, like, marine equivalent or equivalent to your army, um, pay attention to that. That that you make it so you don't get gotcha or caught, caught, up, caught by surprise on that, because those type of situations where you're kind of battling in the unknown uh, can definitely set you back. Yes, um... Also, this does apply to the the one of these stats is not like the others does apply to weapons. Like, for example, the special weapons selected by your opponent are most certainly a problem you'll have to look at and analyze and see how it fits up against your army's toughness stat lines and armor saves. 
And sometimes it's like really obvious because it's like, oh, that thing moves 12 inches instead of six. That's that's a lot of movement. It's fast. It can be subtle. It can be big. And the smaller a uh, number is to start with, the more a difference is going to make changing. And if you only have one attack, going up to two attacks is a big difference. Whereas if you have six attacks, going up to seven is not really going to change things much. No, it just means you're a little extra more mulchier than you probably needed to be to start with. And sometimes there's that little hidden bit that's not exactly described in the stat line, but it's kind of implied, like shock assault and such like that. So you don't don't forget to add those things and get something to get your math thrown off. You have to definitely include the obvious. Another way to look at it is one of these has a rule unlike the others. It's like, oh, this unit has a unique rule to it. Hmm. Hmm. Better look at that rule and figure out what it's doing. Another thing that we have is if there's an awful lot of one type of thing in your opponent's army, uh, that can be a very different sort of problem because they've clearly banked their battle plan on this thing, whatever it is. Probably bodies. Yeah, and uh, quantity is sometimes better than quality uh, with some units. Uh, If you... You know, it's there's no shame in bringing 140 bolter shots, especially if you have things that force multiply. Um, a lot of times, if you see somebody spamming something, it's either uh, it's either undercosted and either it's really strong in what it does, or there's some sort of force multiplication or something that plays off of it. Um, there's a reason why you see particular unit sizes maxed out. It's because there's usually a buff or something that applies to those things. Or it's uh, related to redundancy or saturation. So it's like, well, I need to have all of that unit to get all of that going. So it can stay as long as it needs to. Sean, do you have anything you'd like to add? It's not as common to see people just bringing three or six or whatever of a single unit as it happened in previous editions. Um you you typically more see units with similar defensive profiles rather than just identical copies of the same unit. Uh, but it certainly does happen that people will just bring 120 boys or whatever. That's actually a great point there. Um, so if you see a lot of similar stat lines, that, count, that can round off as one thing. Um, or if you see, oh man, they brought all of like the off offensive special weapons of this one type that's a one thing great point there sean another really quick thing uh is kind of what is blank doing in this list if they have brought a unique item it's worth paying attention to and trying to figure out what its dynamic is in the list other than sometimes it's like oh it's the pretty thing and sometimes it's like oh it's an imperial knight yeah the Anything that this kind of goes with the first one with the, you know, what is why is this the thing different? Um, sometimes if you have that thing that sticks out or the thing that's different from everything else or the thing that seems odd or like the weird like uh, detachment ad, like adding a thousand size detachment to a death guard list, it's like, okay, that is doing something. They spent those points in that CP for a reason. What what is that there for um, versus just being more death guard? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's often a really specific solution slash tool um, so it's more it's very important to pay attention to why did they bring that and honestly you can ask your opponent um, sometimes they'll answer there's a lot of opponents that don't answer you uh, <laughs> if you directly ask them like hey what's that sorcerer for uh, and they'll be like oh that's death hex like they'll, <laughs> they'll straight up tell you you don't yeah. you don't need to figure it out on your own sometimes so there's a lot of people that'll straight up just volunteer this information a um, little bit of a you know head game thing there but like honestly yeah you can straight ask your opponent and a lot of times they'll tell you it it very rarely is difficult to get someone to talk about their army they may not tell you what you want to hear about it but it's very easy to get them to talk about it <laughs> yeah and and there's no shame in asking all sorts of weird questions like uh, like the next thing we were going to talk about is, what's that? If you don't know what something is, that's the unique problem of you don't know what that is, and you probably should ask. My, my favorite version of that is spending my first 10 minutes of the game playing an army I've never played before or haven't or has a new codex, and I just like point every unit like, what's that do? What's that do? 
What's the stats on that? How far does that shoot? And like before we even put down a single model, I'm just pointing at their tray, just be like, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Obviously, in Ben's example there, uh, if you're if you've got a lot of things you don't know, sometimes the politer question is, can you give me a summary of what your army is trying to do so that I can have some hope of countering it? My version was more comical. <laughs> that, that, I, I suppose you are better minorly at that. <laughs> now there's a I there's it's always good to refresh yourself on those things, especially if if you haven't played in this edition yet, or if, if they're like for Drakari, like you suddenly you forgot that their power from pain chamber table changed. Um, it's okay to ask about those things, and that's that's open public information. Please always clarify that type of stuff um, because if it's available in the book, your opponent has and should tell you uh like how does their how's their power from pain table work but you have to remember to ask that question so know what questions to ask yeah another thing to consider is looking at characters do they have auras if so what kind of buffs are they giving what kind of ranges are those buffs um because that is going to tell you a lot about how the army is going to relate to that character some characters are just big old beefy mulch machines and some of them are totally force multipliers so you gotta identify which one it is and again ask Hmm? do you have a way to identify a problem sean a lot of times you can identify problems in how your opponent deploys them um where they put their units who stands in range of various auras uh, stuff like that is going to give you a very obvious line on how they intend to use units and what role those units are going to serve in their army. Uh, just because a unit has four LAS cannons doesn't mean it's going to sit in the back of the board shooting at you. Uh, but if they deploy it up in a ruin where it is going to have a wide range of sight, that's going to be a much better indicator. Yeah, one of my first things that I that I ask an opponent or want to know when I look at a list, especially uh, in this edition, is what's going in reserves. Um, that's yeah. a really important way of how you expect the unit to be played. Um, if it's like a super aggressive melee unit going in reserves, you kind of have an idea what's going on, and it's kind of a it's kind of a problem that's unseen uh and i'm an out of sight out of mind person so sometimes i forget Mm. that 10 death company are in reserves and i'm about to get my my crap pushed in um so please try and remember those um those 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 are those are the unseen problems and stuff in reserves is always important to note indeed yeah i i would say also units that are standing behind terrain can fall into that same category of like, well, it hasn't done anything yet, and I'm not thinking about it, so it's not a problem, but remember that those guys exist. If you haven't actually killed them yet, then they're still a problem. Uh, yeah, that, I can think of several occasions in which sometimes the problem they're doing is scoring your opponent five points every turn. That's a very different type of problem. Yeah. Being the reason your opponent gets victory points is a problem. Another thing I personally like to look at in problem analysis is uh, is the killability of a unit because this can be a little sneakier sometimes it takes the form of a minus one to hit sometimes it's more obvious such as a high armor save or an invuln save and sometimes it's just the combination of a little higher than usual toughness a little better than usual armor save and maybe some sort of extra rule where on a six up it ignores the damage done to it yeah, the, the first thing I look at here is I'm always looking at what exactly the armor save is, is and how they're going to benefit from it. Because I always think of the worst case scenario here. Um, so two up in cover with a storm shield. And suddenly they're sitting on a zero up. Um, and, you, you know, if you're throwing any AP at it, you need AP three to actually make a difference uh, on the die roll. So it that type of stuff is the type of stuff I'm always looking for because I always want to know what the worst absolute case scenario is, including... You know, all buffs, all stratagems, all whatever. And, like, how big of a problem is this going to be? It's like, oh, suddenly I'm shooting 20 Guardians. I have a 3-up save in shooting and a 2-up save and they want to take on the platform. And, okay, those 20 Guardians went from paper to almost impossible to move. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the killability can be, like, really sneaky because it's like your opponent can have defensive stratagems you may or may not be aware of as well. 
you know, the, the Guardian on paper, he's, they're paper. Um, you mix a stratagem and a spell in there, and suddenly they're basically not worth dealing with. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are also a lot more units with static special rules that affect how you want to attack them. Uh, especially disgusting, re- resilient, or any other minus one damage effect, or some variant of transhuman where you can't wound them on better than typically a four up. Uh, both of those make a huge difference in how hard a unit can be to kill. Yeah, the reference to the current meta, um, Incubi, have a built-in fight last, you know, essential ability, um, and that's a real big problem. Um, those. Uh, those guys will rip you up if you're fighting last. So uh, charging into lows and getting gotcha by that is really hard. And you kind of on, on their stat line, like, oh, I can charge into them and kill them. Nope, you can't. They just kill you. Mm-hmm. Which means uh, more of a bullets from everywhere strategy might be a little more effective. Do either of you two feel we need to add anything real quick here? Um, Killability, just... Take just everything as far as when you are doing your math hammer, always overguess it. Always add that. Don't don't math hammer equivalent. Always always go a little bit more, because um, that the variance will always kill you a little bit and you will leave the stupid thing at one or two wounds. Um, go for overkill. Secure the kill. Don't don't just be like oh well math hammer says you know eight shots of this will kill it. No no do do nine do ten like always go over. Yeah. The last thing is just uh, to note as well as the units type, uh, for example, infantry versus tank versus swarm, all of those interact with the board and the terrain differently. And it's important to note, like, if your opponent has a handful of tanks, um, where they're going to, what they plan to do with them, as Sean pointed out, with the deployment might be obvious, but also, like, tanks can move pretty far. So that's important to think about, too. Mm-hmm. But they can't go through walls. For for me as an assault player, um, tanks are important to me because it's my only real way of getting real reps and uh, and full try points anymore. Um, because they can't exactly desperate break out. So if I want if I want the good old wrap and trap, um, I definitely need to know what stat stat line those guys got, and I will definitely try and wrap your uh, your transports. Yeah. Well, also it's angles of attack and stuff it's like where's it going to come at me from its unit type can tell you that because it's like oh through a wall hmm yeah not to mention don't forget the word fly oh yeah kind of an important one on that it's not as good as it used to be but it's still a really good rule yeah it's just as good as it used to be for moving across terrain and whatnot better even oh yeah all right. Um, I feel we've gotten pretty good at identifying problems and kind of some mental tricks. Uh, again, this list isn't complete, but it's just here to kind of give you a bunch of examples for how you're going to mentally approach trying to find it. Uh, we're going to be taking a short break where we can hear from our delightful sponsors and some Dank Muse tunes, and then we'll get right back into the solutions. Are you interested in VR 40k experiences, streaming, or just getting a little more data out of your names with good note-taking? If so, you might be interested in backing the Rightful Ruler Kickstarter. It is a VR immersion program that hooks into your app on your phone to increase knowledge, distance, and otherwise make the playing board more accessible to more people, including yourself. You can look them up on Kickstarter. And we are back. So, solutions. Solutions are basically, they're, they're from your army if problems are from your opponent's army. Solutions are 
the tools you've built in, the stuff you've got to deal with these problems. And a notable thing about it, sometimes the, stress, the solution space is in strategy, and finding solutions on the fly isn't always the best answer if you're at an event, which is why practice is the ultimate solution to all solutions. <laughs> It's also good to look at your army as a set of solutions, so we're going to go a little more deeper into diving as to what makes the parts of your army into solutions. With, a, with finding solutions uh, on the fly, the, the, as you said, practice is good, but like, it's good to kind of, when you go to a GT or an RTT, especially with uh, places that have lists submitted beforehand, browse those lists. Go ahead and look at the problems you're probably going to have. Get an understanding. Talk to other players um, that are going to to the event with you that maybe play those armies and ask questions. Um, knowledge is power, and going into an event with a plan is way better than going in without a plan. Yes. Uh, also, you don't want to get caught by the question, I don't know what this is. That's a bad problem to have, and it is easily curable by learning. Yeah experience is the best way you're going to learn how to deal with units um, because there's obviously a lot of different ways to handle any given potential problem and it's not necessarily going to be a static one-for-one -one answer like when i see this unit i do this it's probably going to be a little bit more dynamic than that something where you're going to have to look at the situation and say okay they're on an objective and i have these units so i'm going to need to handle them this way yes um so that said uh tools so when we talk about list components or archetypes or styles, you're building your army to perform certain solutions more optimally than others. For example, like Ben described an assault list, he wants to solve his problems in the assault phase, not the shooting phase. Yeah. The the most important thing you can recognize is, you know, you is that you see nails, do you have hammers? That's a good thing. Um so things I, I've learned through experience versus what it says on paper. What it says on paper is what my unit is supposed to do. It's supposed to deep strike in, shoot off the chaff, and then charge the important thing. What can it do in a pinch is something I've learned from playing games. While not optimal, your big old squad of Terminators can serve as a sacrificial screen if you need it to. Yeah. It's not, not a happy day there, but it works. The most common thing here you see, this is a world of silly stories and how I won my games come from, um, comes from these in a pinch moments. It comes from your moment of, oh, my psyker randomly has a staff that deals D3. Um, and he, you know, he, he got a few above average rolls and he was able to kill my opponent's warlord or my 10 Gretchen killed Gulliman. Like those things happen. Um, and in a in, in a pinch, you can kind of have a good re recognize recognition of like, okay, these things can still make plays. They aren't useless. It's just not their typical intended use. Um, I, I call you know hammers and nails and you know good tools for good solutions. Sometimes you don't have a hammer and you have to figure out another way to get that nail in. Sometimes you have a spork. It does work if you're determined enough. Physical board space is also an important thing to consider. Uh, this is a game where things take take up space and they take up time and movement amongst that space. Move blocking, um, just tempo control and things like that. You know, these are also a huge part of your solution space that has everything to do with the table and less to do with your own units besides their movement stats. So that's an important thing to consider, too, is like, well, I mean, the table is part of my equation, and gotta consider it. Yeah, and don't forget that you have the option to make your opponent react to you. You don't always need to play to your opponent's strengths. Um, so if you have repositioning, uh, you know, stratagems or uh, warlord abilities allow you to, like, change your deployment, you can suddenly, you know, use that as your tool to solve the problem of your opponent's really aggressive deployment, um, and suddenly their aggressive deployment goes from a from a useful tool for them to a something that will actually hurt them pretty bad, uh, especially if it kind of leaves them out in the open and they can't do much with that aggressive deployment. 
um, or <clears throat> there's a couple other things you could definitely do there. But that's just a, a relatively decent example of you can put your opponent kind of on their on their back foot, um, and when you see them using a useful tool against your problem that you've created. Well, and that leads into a, another useful thing is your stratagems and powers, your non-standard rules and kind of circumstantial abilities. That's a huge part of your toolkit. And some of them are really, really niche and specific. And some of them are just like, you know, I just need to make the math a little bit better here. And I don't have to spend as many guns to kill that one thing. And that's going to let me free up other guns to kill this other thing. Sometimes that's what it is. One of my favorite things is like the poker face that an Eldar player can give you when they don't have a bunch of stuff like screened out deep strike wise. And you're like, well, why aren't, why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they doing that? Well, if you don't know um, that their that their dark reapers can shoot you when you when you suddenly deep strike on top of them, um, that's a problem. Uh, and it's a problem that one that a lot of people will get gotcha by unless you specifically know that stratagem or know that rule. Um, you can definitely ask about it, but. You know, if you if you don't identify it as a problem, you can easily get baited into those things. And on the vice versa side, you can bait your opponent into those things. And that's my type of thing that I like to do is I like baiting my opponent into making what they think um, is strategic plays. Mm-hmm. This can also be something that's especially true if you have a multi-role unit. Um I, I, I guess I kind of thought of it because of, like, Ben and Orcs. Uh, a lot of people will see a squad of, say, Ludas or Flashgits and be like, aha, they are a shooting unit. I will deep strike in near them and then send my Reavers to kill them all. Um, and the reality is that if those Ludas charge those Reavers, the Reavers are just friggin' dead. Yeah, a lot of Orc units are really choppy in spite of the shooty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's my thing. That I always tell people is that I'm like, at the end of the day, they're still boys. Um, yeah, they just don't. If they don't have a chopper, they just have one less attack. That's not. It's not a big deal. They still carry the stat line. They still get all the same buffs. Um, I've I've definitely have stories of, uh, of in the eighth edition Yunari and uh, Eldar phase where I'd have thirty boys get charged by shining, shining spears, and it's like, cool, they killed mm-hmm. a decent amount of boys, but then the boys just turned around and killed the spears, like. It was yeah. ends up being a terrible play. <laughs> those those spears don't have enough attacks to kill the boys. That's not how you do it. <laughs> no. Um, or my personal favorite charges a character into a unit of strike marines, kills two of them, and then proceeds to get killed by the remaining three. That happens depressingly often. Yeah, and. This as we're, as we're talking about like stratagems and powers and um, and board spacing, uh, one of the like comeback heroes um, that you can use as a solution or your opponent may use as a solution uh, that could be a big problem for you uh, is heroic intervention. Don't don't forget about the side rules that don't happen all the time. Keep those in the front of your head of like, oh did I did I end within three inches of that of that knight? Oh that knight's a character. I've made that mistake. Um, I'll admit it. And then suddenly I'm losing way more units than I should. Mm -hmm. I mean, constantly measuring is your best friend there. Like, remember heroic intervention? Wait, is that a six-inch heroic intervener? I need to know that right now. Mm -hmm. Or that blood angels have a six-inch heroic intervention on activation, and if you get anywhere near that group of sanguinary guard, you're just going to die. It's like, cool, I killed your group of scouts, and... oh. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I didn't want that unit anyways. <laughs> Plus it was my master plan to lure them into my kill zone. Yeah, so if you if something looks off, I guess we'll add on this. If something looks off, like why are they give, making it so easy for me to like get into their stuff or, you know, why are, why is this presented as a gift? It's it's probably there there there's Trojan horses. Think about it for a minute. Um sometimes things aren't always what they appear. Um Another really simple way to look at solution space is how does my gun hammer dude's toughness work against opponent's toughness or their hammer? Um, Because we talked about this in our target priority episode a little bit uh, that I'll bring back here is, you know, they've got big guns for big stat lines, if that makes any sense. My uh, my favorite example here um, with my with the, the list I'm playing actually 
um, is the the lift a drop or the smash a gun stat line completely ignores uh, uh, Space Marine's problem of transhuman with their either their stratagem or just Dark Angels since they just have it uh, and they're a hot army right now. It just ignores that. It's like, oh, you need you only wound me mm-hmm. on Forge. It's like, oh, that's not how my wound mechanic works, buddy. It just straight up. And it's really hard to not wound them with that with either the Smash Again profile or the Lift to Dropper profile. So it's it's absolutely beautiful how easy it picks up uh, those Marines. It technically still applies, but since a three would not wound them anyways with the Lift to Dropper's wound mechanic, it's never relevant. There are very few toughness three space marines. Indeed, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Plus the gun the guns are like well, as as we're going to talk about problem solution. The guns are a perfect solution to space marines. They they have a neg four in their AP. They deal high multi damage. They're they're exactly what I want to be shooting gravis marines with. Oh yeah, and uh, a solution I've used depressingly often over the years is. The do-nothing slash running away. Sometimes the best solution is to not interact with whatever is causing the problem. Uh, this can be, and probably should be, coupled with a physical board space solution where it's like, yeah, if I can isolate the problem into that half of the table, then it's not a problem. It's over there. One way I like to address this is sometimes you don't even build a list that is a problem-solution list. Sometimes you build a list that... All it had that you know it's if that it views all the problem as nails or just doesn't interact. Um, I used to build lists that were almost completely uninteractive with my opponent as far as scoring secondaries and scoring primaries. It's like, well, I'm gonna sit on objectives and I really honestly don't care what you do. Mm-hmm. We're just we're just gonna we're just gonna hang out and we're just gonna score points. Um, I don't honestly care what you do uh and that's that's my solution for everything is to just not care um and well while those armies aren't too common they do exist uh and sometimes you can take that play style against certain opponents like sometimes you're like oh i just can't really i'm not going to really answer that or they'll they'll, those things will kill ex-boys and i'm just going to keep living my life cool you know sit back have a drink hang out yeah, I mean, um, some lists are designed to be non-interactive. I mean, that's one of the advantages uh, Dark Eldar can have, is they can build themselves to not have secondaries easily taken against them, um, which is a way of non-interaction. Sean, do you have anything to add to this whole what-is-the-solution discussion we've been having? I would say that... Um... You're looking for solutions that are both as broad and as specific as possible in a lot of cases. Um, you know, ideally, you have a solution that works on several things, but you also want something that is well targeted to work effectively on each of those things. The lift a dropper that Ben mentioned is a very good example of something that works on a lot of different stat lines, but also is very effective against each of them. Um, yeah. And that is the sort of weapon that you are ideally looking to find. Uh, that's often why armies are powerful, is because they have solutions that are very effective against broad classes of opponents. Indeed. Um, and I like what you were saying there with, like, you want general solution units, so all comers units or multifaceted units, like we're talking about Ludas. They're still boys. They can still beat the crap out of you in close combat, and they shoot hard. But at the same time, you want... but you do need to sometimes solve problems more efficiently than something that's pretty good at everything. Yeah. Because uh, speed is something you have to manage in this game. One thing you want to consider here also is we talked about force multiplication. We talked about auras and such and add-ons. Sometimes these are complex equations that can be absolutely dismantled by removing one piece. Um, and you yes. can sometimes identify that one piece and you want to pick, pick the weakest one and go, okay, uh, do I have the ability to specifically just answer that one? And if I do, um, you know, how much am I willing to sacrifice for it? Like if I, if I have the ability to, you know, spend 300 some points in my army, but to kill their little like 80 point psyker, but that psyker dismantles their strategy, I'm going to do it. 
Um, cause that oh, 300 yeah. points is, is while not on paper, you know, tangible, it's incredibly tangible in the game. Yes. Um, that actually is reminding me, um, order of operations can matter a lot in your solution space. Uh, for example, the age old Tau example, which is shoot out the shield drones with your bolters and then you fire the last cannons into the riptide. Uh, if it has nothing to pass it off to, it has to eat the damage. So that's an example of orders and target priority mattering. Because you do it the other way and you lose all your Lasgat and bunch. Yeah, and then don't... And then also, like, try and protect your solutions. Because a lot of times your opponent isn't going to be not unintelligent and know what your solutions are. You have to protect those in order to use them. Otherwise, they're going to target those first. Me, as the Stompa player uh, in, the, in an upcoming GT, I'm going to look at anything that can kill my Stompa, and I'm going to kill it. Um, and then I'll deal with everything mm-hmm. else. So <laughs> identifying your opponent's hammers to your nails um, are quite often you know, the, the vice versa situation of, okay, that's my problem that needs to go away because it's going to solve the, the problem I'm presenting them. Um, so while you know killing this problematic unit over here uh you know that scoring points might be important if they can you know take out the linchpin of your army um with their solution then you have to answer that first so sometimes you have an order of priority of what you're actually going to target um like because i'll definitely ignore the the 10 lightning claw terminators um to go kill the things that are going to be actually killing my stompas so um, mm-hmm. I mean, this was brought up in the Imperial Knights episode we just had with our guest, uh, Adam, right? Yeah, he, yeah, it's Adam. Okay. Uh, yeah, he shoots the shoots the knights, <laughs> shoots the things that kill his knights, and then everything else after. Exactly. Sean, do you have any fun examples of problem solutions that you've done in the past or encountered? So a lot of this is going to be very meta dependent. This is kind of where you are going to be customizing your army to take advantage of particular features of the meta. Um, a, a very current one would be Drukari and their Dark Lances, because the Dark Lance basically has the best possible profile for killing transports. Uh, transports are T7, the Lance is strength 8. Minus 4 AP means they don't get a save, most of them don't have an invuln save, and D3 plus 3 damage is taking off like half their HP with every shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you like three raiders kills a rhino, and three rhinos does not even kill a squad of Drukari out of their transport. Um, so the raider is kind of very well positioned to be a solution to a lot of things. And that's important because there are a lot of people who are bringing, like, one or two transports to protect an important unit, to do movement shenanigans, and stuff like that. Um, So I think that's a very good example of, like, why is the Raider so popular right now? Well, it's a a really good transport anyways, but also it has a gun that perfectly fits the needs of the Drukhari army. Uh, because, like, they don't have a lot of other sources of anti-tank. They, they just aren't bringing all that many of them. Um, so having all of their transports equipped with this gun makes them much more efficient in that regard. It's also pretty redundant because they're bringing a yes. crap ton of raiders. It's like you don't, you, you don't get to kill one unit and then be like, okay, cool, I'm done with Dark Lances now. No, it's it's right. scattered around. It's not, like I killed, it's not like I killed a Shadow Sword or something and I don't need to worry about that Volcano Lance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is a great example. Thank you. Ben, do you have one? Uh, my examples is I like to present my opponents um, with I like to present my opponents with nails and watch them try and work with it with sporks. Um, <laughs> I like I like throwing uh, you know big groups of Gretchen in front of a in front of a, of a volcano lance of all things or um, other insane guns. Um, though I think in this edition we're seeing a lot more very multifaceted things uh like the the castellan robots right now they're in are just kind of an answer to everything um they don't they're they're not really bad at killing anything uh so you're you're seeing things kind of drift down to just be things being really multifaceted and serving just like very large chunks of people's armies so you know they brought a tool they brought a tool belt of four really good tools um and sometimes there's like 
well, my, my drill is also an impact driver. Um, yeah. And then they usually have something that, that complements it. Like they have war dogs. Like, well, I don't really ever want them to make it touched and they're useless. Well, good thing I have all these war dogs and I can space everything out. So um, they present a very complex problem on the board of, okay, how do I actually answer all this? And unfortunately, like meta-analysis wise and such, like there are some armies that just can't. Like the chaos matchup for them, uh, for um, Admech right now, um, your meta lists you're seeing are they're it's not good for for chaos. It's it's real real bad. Um, but mm-hmm. you know that's that you that's that's part of the meta analysis of things and how the meta game works. Yeah, no, I for years I played an army that didn't have good solutions to a lot of major meta problems, so I had to find other ways around it, uh, which involved a lot of running away. Uh, my my personal interesting thing is. Grey Knights can pump out two mortal wounds per squad when they really want to get going. And when my anti-tank is scattered across literally every unit in the army, it can be really annoying that way. Yeah, I've had opponents get really thoroughly annoyed. It's like, oh god, I have to kill every single Grey Knight. Yeah, to, to talk up play skill and practice a little bit and how those are some of the most important things you can have. Um, an experienced player playing down points and with less superior units can still beat an experienced player uh, a player with better units and you know better on paper things so you you can still outplay your opponent so always still be trying to play that mental game try and get your opponent to do things that they don't want to do try and make them make suboptimal plays um there's always that choice of of your opponent spent 300 points to kill 50 points of units and you capitalize on that and take it take advantage of their mistake um yeah if if you are able to do that um, you can still get yourself out of these relatively bad on paper situations because there's still a pilot and there's still human error. Um, and there's still situations where variants can apply. Um, an example here for me is I've had opponents put way too much firepower into killing a few mech guns, and mech guns are like 40-something points apiece. I, I really don't care. Um, and I'm quite happy when they do it. Hmm. No, I'd rather be spending bolter shots into killing your massive unit of boys and Gretchen that you are using to hold that objective. Focusing on the mission is also a solution. If your opponent's not watching the mission and you are, that can make all the world of difference in your ability to win. Even if they beat you on paper. Yeah, we've... As I say, we talked a lot about, like, solving various units... But it's really important to remember that that is always just a means to an end. Killing every unit in your opponent's army is irrelevant if they beat you on the mission. And so you should be looking at all of this as ways that you can score points or prevent your opponent from scoring points or prevent your opponent from preventing you from scoring points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you may need to kill that squad of Terminators that is advancing towards your objective, but maybe you don't need to kill them at all. Maybe you just need to slow them down. Um, that will depend on the battlefield situation, the options that you and your opponent have, etc., etc. But realize there that you're the problem you need to solve is not my opponent's Terminators are alive, it is my opponent's Terminators are going to take the objective away from me. So if you can hold the objective with objective secured, if you can stop them from moving forward, if you can charge them and tie them down with something else, whatever it may be, that is still a solution to the problem. Indeed. Sometimes one of my best solutions to problems is just the unit's not dead yet they still have to put guns into it. Mm-hmm. Which is guns they're not putting into things I find more important in the moment. Yeah, for, for 8th edition, uh, Index Orcs, before we got the Codex, um, all my secondaries completely non-interactive. Almost all my primaries, 100% like basically non-interactive. It's like, okay, you, you need to kill boys. That's how, that's how you do this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, had some, I had some hammers. I was able to you know kill things that dealt with boys really well. But other than that... It, I didn't really quite care what my opponent's army was doing, um, and that's how I won. How I won games was just the mission. Um, I've definitely won games with my opponents has a thousand points of dudes on the board. I literally have one squad. Like you, there are sacrifices to be made. There are points to be spent, but that's literally a solution to your problem. Uh, is just throw more points at it, and as long as you still get points on the board and you're still winning, you win. 
And you don't even need to have points on the board oh, yeah, in ninth edition. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've been I've been tabled in one. Yeah, it happens. It's not common, but it's totally possible. All right, Sean, you want to carry us off with the summary? Yeah. So if you've enjoyed what we did here, and you would like to maybe get a little more direct personal contact with us, talk about some of the things in this episode, or discuss an army list, you can email us in inthefinesthour at gmail.com. And if you really appreciate what you do, and you want to throw a little bit of money our way, we have a Patreon, which is also in the finest hour, where you can contact us directly, speak to us through our private Facebook group, or on our Discord server where we will post memes, look up army lists and all that sort of thing, hobby progress and whatnot. Uh, and for $5 a month, you can get access to that, and all that money goes directly to helping support the show, purchase the equipment, pay for the hosting, all that sort of thing. So thank you very much to all of our Patreons. We really appreciate what you do, and we couldn't do the show without you. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our awesome epic art. As always, you can find him on Facebook, Instagram, DeviantArt, and just the internet in general. He is still open for commissions and very quick with very awesome stuff. And if you enjoyed the wonderful tunes that play at our intro and our intermission, you can find Dank Muse's work on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Next week, we will be talking about the Assault Phase, also known as Stabby Time. I don't believe in it. In my opinion, the most important phase. All right. For In the Finest Hour, this has been Shaylin Allen West. Sean Morgan. Ben Jerry. Thanks for listening. Bye.